Support for this podcast comes from Home Depot Pro. With an inventory of more than 100,000 products, the Home Depot Pro's product selection includes both the name brands you seek and the exclusive brands you trust. For more information, go to www.ebarnett.com. Isn't your journey from, you know, under a million dollars to, I forget what you said initially, you know, a double-digit million-dollar, highly profitable company, what are two or three takeaways that people should keep in mind if they want to rapidly grow up their grow their business while also staying profitable? You know, again, what are a couple core things they should always keep in mind? I think there's three things. Um, number one is operational excellence. Yeah. Uh, if you want to grow rapidly, you have got to be operationally excellent. You've got to have those pieces in place because you have to have a strong foundation to be able to build that growth on. If you don't, it's going to wash away. Number yeah. one. Number two, going into kind of ties into it, but the profitability side, it is very easy to grow your revenue numbers rapidly, um, but you can lose sight of the profitability and and you can get into this mindset too of, oh, well, we're growing, the the profit will come, which (laughs) I I would say is is true on some level, but you really have to watch it because all of a sudden, you know, sales are for show, right? Profit is is for freedom. And so you could have a $30 million company. That sounds great to say, hey, I have a $30 million company. But if I'm breaking even or even worse, losing money, what does it matter? I'm basically working for free. I didn't start a nonprofit, right? (laughs) So (laughs) number two is you gotta watch your profit. And then I would say number three is don't forget your people. Your people are, people are the reason you're in business, number one. But number two, people are the reason that you have a business. And if you get too focused on the numbers, you are going to forget the people, you're going to alienate the people, and those people are what are keeping you in business. So I would say those are the three things. Welcome to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International, a show for residential contractors about residential contractors. We chronicle business journeys, share insights, and celebrate successes in this wonderful industry. I'm your host, Bob Houchin. Hey there, podcast listeners. I'm incredibly excited to bring you an in-depth conversation with SGI's own Mickey Stone. I'm not sure we could have packed any more worthwhile content in this little more than an hour than we already did. Uh, today, Mickey is a success coach for Success International, but in her prior life, she worked for two residential service companies. And it's her journey with her last company that we truly dig into. When Mickey joined that last service company, It was just her and the electrician slash owner. The business did very little residential service and did very little revenue. But over the next 10 years, the owner and Mickey would grow that business to $13 million of sale with an incredibly strong profit margin. And along the way, they acquired and merged together a successful HVAC company and a smaller but successful plumbing company with their existing electrical business. In addition, Mickey oversaw a complete rebranding of this entire operation. So she's seen a lot, let's just put it that way. Uh, and in this interview, I'm gonna dig deep into those mergers and that rebranding, but I'm also gonna ask Mickey a ton of questions about how that highly successful business operated. This was a really fun interview for me, and I can promise if you're looking to become more operationally excellent in your business, it will definitely be a conversation you can take away another two. So enjoy. Well, Vicki, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the show. If you would, would you please introduce yourself 
to the listeners and uh, what your position is today. Absolutely. It's it's a pleasure to be here and to be able to talk about my role and uh, just our trades in general. So my name is Mickey Stone, and I am one of the coaches here at Success Group International. And I am blessed because I actually get to work with three of our four affinities. I work with Airtime members, Plumbing Success International, and the Electrician Success International as well. Very good. And for good reason. You uh have trade experience in all three, as before you uh, became uh, a part of the group, you were a member of the group for a very, very long time. And so for listeners tuning in, by the way, for those listening, I apologize, I have some allergy stuff. So if it sounds like I have a a clothespin on on my nose, it's not far from that. So uh, we'll let Mickey do most of the talking. But uh, anyway, happy to have you on because your experience in, in growing a, a company from uh, just two people to what did, uh, what did you guys end up at before you left? Uh, we were around $13 million in revenue. That's awesome. And you, you guys were probably what, just a couple hundred thousand. I think when you first started. Yes. Yep. We were, we, we were, <laughs> we hadn't hit our first million yet for sure. <laughs> that's, that's very exciting. So you have lots of, of uh, insight to impart, which is why I wanted to get you on as quickly as I could. So very excited to have you. Okay. Before we dig into your role with your, your uh, last company, kind of share with us your, your background, what led you up to uh, the contracting industry? Absolutely. So where I actually started with the contracting industry is I started with a plumbing company and I just I started as uh, their dispatcher backup customer service representative. And then as that company grew, I grew with the company. So uh, we added HVAC division organically. We went out and found our license holders or grew them from within. And then after that, we did the same thing with electrical. So that organization, we grew organically. And as that organization grew, as I stated, I did as well. So I worked through, um, you know, sales lead coordinator, office manager, service manager, uh, just a bunch of varying roles. As so many of our members have, you wear multiple hats sure. <laughs> in the trade industry. So that's where I started. And that's really where I got my passion for the trades. I loved okay. that we were helping people and yet uh, we're able to do it and, and make a profit. And we had excellent teams and excellent cultures, and it was just the, the perfect package. So that's how I got started in the trades. Right. Well, how about even before that? What were you doing before you got into the trades? So before I got in the trades, I actually worked in the medical industry. Um, mm-hmm. I worked for a medical supply company. And what's interesting about that is even with that organization, we continued to diversify. Uh, with that company, we actually purchased um, a medical mattress company, and then we purchased an oxygen company. So even okay. though our core business was durable medical equipment, we continued to expand through acquisition with that one as well. Very good. Interesting. Okay, so you you, you jump into this crazy contracting industry, and, and you do so at the ground floor. Uh, you know, it's just you and, and Ken at the time. Um, talk about, and back then, if I remember, because I interviewed previous owner, uh, you guys were in all sorts of, uh, you didn't just do service at the time initially, right? Were you there when when he kind of dabbled in a bit of everything? Yeah. So um, after the plumbing company, yes, then I joined the electrical company. And as you said, it was just myself and the electrician. And yeah, yeah, we were, we had just started moving into, or I should say he had just started moving into the residential side. Uh, He was doing uh, new construction. He was doing commercial. However, it was around 2008, 2009, which was, of course, one of the giant economic busts. And he recognized that the money was in residential. That's where the stability was. So he had a vision of 
wanting to take his company to the residential side. And then that's where I came in. Right. Very good. So, so I kind of worked out well. Uh, he, he kind of realized where he needed to go. You'd have the back, some of that background. Uh, think about, I know it's, you know, <laughs> it's crazy to say it's been like 12 years, but uh, what were some of the core changes for a business? Because so, it represents so many of our members, right? Because we, we do open our, ourselves up to smaller contractors. There's a lot of other organizations that prefer to cherry pick and, and deal with just larger groups that where some of the members already have things pick, figured out, but we, we, we are very inclusive. Uh, so what are some of those things that small companies need to focus on uh, early on that you guys focused on to get to get residential right? If you know, I guess is a way to say, can you think back then what you guys had to do? Yeah, I think there are really three sides of it. Um, the first side is you have to get the phones figured out, right. whether that's uh, hiring somebody to answer the phones or whether it's working with uh, like a success group partner network vendor, because right. residential customers are calling you because for the most part, usually they need help, right? Yeah. And if they call and they get a voicemail or the phone just rings and, and it doesn't, they don't get answered right away, they're going to just keep calling your competitors. So yep. that's the first thing because you have to build that, that customer base. But besides that, uh, the other two things are, first of all, figuring out your pricing, utilizing the straightforward pricing guide, figuring out uh, what you need to do to be priced for profit. Right. And then behind that is the customer service side. As our technicians know, uh, most of your straight commercial technicians aren't your residential electricians a lot of times. They take, you know, the, the commercial side doesn't require as much of the customer service side that the residential <laughs> side does, obviously. So yeah. I think those are kind of the the three keys to it. The pricing, the customer service training, learning how to talk to customers, learning how to handle objections, and then having an effective uh, call center, effective office. Right. right, right. How about, you know, if, if we're talking about Phone. The phone is the first thing you brought up. The idea of a service fee is is obviously a huge thing. How, did that take you guys long to get in place, or was one of those things you just set it, forget it, and trained uh, trained yourselves through how to deliver that value over the phone, where people saw the value of it and had no problem paying that fee? Uh, exactly what you said. We set it. We set it and forget it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it goes back to on the on the phone side. It's just building that value of hey, here's what we we offer. Here's why we're worth coming out. And from the office side, from the financial side, it allowed us to, you know, if you go out to a call and you collect a service call, you're probably still losing money. But it was no longer running all these free estimates and getting out of this mindset that we run around and we quote everything for free and changing to that mindset of, no, we're professionals. We are the experts. They are paying us for our time to come out and we're, we're worth something and, and putting that value to it. Exactly. How about the idea of, of, of uh, some, again, just kind of going through the core list of, of basics that we always teach before we, we expect, expound on those, but uh, the idea of inspections and options or those things that that you guys had implemented early on, or did that take a little while uh, to get into place? It did take a little while to get into place. And I will say this is part of where 
Expo is so valuable. Yeah. So it was in going to Expo, seeing the the presentations, talking to the other companies that were at Expo, and all the successful companies that we wanted to be like, right. uh, were doing inspections. They were offering options, and so we went, okay, we need to do that too. Let's figure this out. And so then, um, you know, my electrician went through. Uh, the training in classes like the advanced electrician to learn more about customer service skills, presenting options, right. doing home inspections. Right, 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 right. How how did you guys, you guys, uh, well, obviously, I guess um, I got to, before I asked my follow-up on, on options, I, I was going to ask about club memberships, but I guess club memberships was even something new to you guys too back then, right? Absolutely. Yep. Because we came straight from commercial new construction, which does not have memberships. And one of the things I will say about the memberships is when my technicians or when my electrician, for example, sold it, they were the ones who sold the most did the best job of not selling it as a discount plan. You know, sometimes we can get into it and, and companies you know, every company has their own process, but it can become a discount plan. Hey, if you sign up for this club, you'll get this much off and and they miss explaining the rest of the benefits. And so we really tried to train our technicians about the full benefits of the club membership and not just treating it as a discount plan. And then that uh, helped us to really, really grow our club membership base. Were you guys, uh, did you do sell an annual one as, as well as a month by month or did you just decide to do one versus the other? Initially, we did annual, and that was uh, one of the things that I tried to implement um, pretty much right after <laughs> starting with the electrician was we need to be doing monthly. So we only did, we got to the point where we only did monthly. If I had a client that was really pushing that they only wanted to pay annually, yeah. uh, the technician had to call into a manager, and then uh, we would charge an additional fee for annual. And we just okay. explained that it's, you know, an additional administrative cost for us. We need to follow up with you after a year. We've got paperwork that has to be sent out. So that's why if you choose to pay for a year, it actually costs a little bit more than if you pay monthly. That's good. I like that. I like it a lot. Did uh, did the club become uh, an immediate option or, you know, for example, uh, I know Kerry Atkins have known forever and, and talked with him over the years. He His technicians, they automatically put it in options two and three. The club's always in there. You know, it just is bundled with everything else. Did you guys do something similarly or was that sold separately? We did bundle it in. So on our proposals, we had three prices. We had your regular price, your club membership price, and then we would also have a monthly price uh, depending on what the item was. And that was to encourage clients to look at financing if they were concerned about budgeting. Um, So we did show the difference in the pricing, but it, it was included on every option we gave. Okay, very good. We're all. Did you? You know, I don't know what things are now, but before, before you or when you left, were, were you guys were using paper at all? Was everything on iPads at that point? Uh, we had a hybrid system. We had done a couple different uh, electronic um, options, but we really felt for us that clients responded very well, particularly to the inspections on paper because it's got the red, green, yellow, and they can see all the check marks. It just translates different than a tablet. Uh, but also the proposals as well. We we just felt that clients responded better to them on paper. However, the invoicing side, the debriefing side, uh, all that was sure. done on tablets. Sure. I, I'm always intrigued by this. I don't know why. Maybe I overthink it. But when, when your electricians or your technicians, as you guys grew, are writing out building options, where do they do that? Do they, do they sit down at the table with the homeowner 
and or do they kind of just do it as they're looking through the inspection and then they have it all pre-written out and then sit down? I've, I've heard different things over the years. It's because intrigued what you guys would do, uh, did back then. You know, every technician has their own flavor <laughs> to how oh, they do it. Sure. Uh, some of our technicians were comfortable sitting down with the homeowner and doing it right at the table. Other oh. technicians preferred to go out to their truck and write the options out and then would present it to the customer. Right. Um, that was one area that we didn't have. We had pretty strong set procedures, but that was one area where we left it up to the technicians for what their comfortability level was. Sure. How, how much, how many financing options? Did you guys have a second looking, second look financing option or did you just use one primary one to try and make it easier for the guys so they didn't have to try and become a, an expert on financing and how, how did you guys utilize it? Uh, yes, we used a second look financing. So after the technicians would try to get a client approved through one avenue, if it didn't work, it would actually automatically roll to the second look financing. Very good. Very good. Okay, good stuff. Um, all of this that happens in the home, right? You know, this is a lot to communicate for uh, a technician who, especially if they're not used to going through all this building value on the front end, right? And then going through an inspection and, and, and communicating with uh, a homeowner about, you know, what you're doing, which, you, you know, takes 90 minutes, a couple hours. Uh, it, it all comes down to training. And I know uh, your previous company was huge into training. Maybe just kind of share with everyone what uh, what was a typical training week like for you guys? Was it a couple times a week? Was it day? Did you do daily huddles as well? If you break that down for us. Absolutely. So with our organization, we covered a fairly large uh, geographic area and our technicians took their trucks home. Right. So for us, it was not possible or it didn't make sense to do daily huddles. Okay. Um, part of our recruiting strategy is that we could recruit from a little bit further away from our shop right. um, because we allowed guys to take their trucks home. So if we made them come to the shop every day, that negated <laughs> that, sure. that possibility or that, that recruiting strategy. So uh, what we did is every day we did have meetings, but it was different divisions because we ended up being a, a triple affinity um, company with airtime plumbing successor, national electrician success international. Yep, yep. And so we would have um, one division every day. So electrical one day, plumbing the next day, HVAC the next day. And we would talk about, uh, we would set the training schedule 90 days in advance. Okay. And we would talk about whatever topic it was that, that we were going to cover at that time. Yeah. And then the other two days, uh, we because we grew text green from within as well. Right. So the other we'll two days in that list, uh, one of the days we would meet with our sales team, like our comfort advisor and our yeah. selling techs on the HVAC side. So that one was also kind of an HVAC day. And then the fifth day of the week was dedicated to technical training. And that would be for plumbing apprentices, HVAC apprentices, electrical apprentices, and any technician that we felt was struggling in an area that maybe that was the topic we were going to cover. Uh, and that's how the training schedules were worked out. Okay. Now, okay. So this 90 day plan that you built out, I've been intrigued by that. What can you give me maybe, a, 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 you know, put you on the spot here, but maybe a taste of, of what would be covered in, in 90 days. I mean, how would it, would it, would you be end up being true to it or, or, you know, say if, if day 45, you know, the skies are, uh, are presenting sloppy options, would you divert from it at all? 
Yep, absolutely. So it's always a very fluid plan. Uh, The point in having the 90-day training plan is so we can plan ahead, right? Right. If we want to bring in like dynamic representative to talk about indoor air quality or different manufacturers to talk about it, we can set it up and plan ahead. However, certainly when we're getting into it, if we see that guys are really struggling with you know, to use your example of presenting options. So now we're in maintenance season on the HVAC side, we're heading into AC tune-up season, and we see guys are struggling to present options on maintenance. That is going to change what we're going to do next week, and it may replace it entirely. We may rejuggle some of the classes or some of the meeting topics, Um, but yes, it's absolutely fluid depending on what's going on with the business and what the needs are. Sure. Would you guys break, uh, would you break up the segments of a service call to kind of focus on, say, just the warm up, or would you, would you, would you guys role play every time you got together? How how did you guys look at that? What was your approach? Yeah, role playing was huge for us throughout the company. Uh, we also did role playing with our customer service staff as well, right. and we would do it every week at least at least one example of a role play. And part of that came from looking through the tickets. So as we looked through their invoices, we would see, hey, this technician. Uh, had a trip fee only and it was a demand call. Why did yeah. the client not have us fix this outlet that's not working, right? And so we'd obviously talk to the technician. We wouldn't just throw them on the spot in the meeting, but then we would role play that call and go through what happened and what the objections were. Role playing was huge, huge for us. I love that. I love that. I, I am very much guilty of, and I apologize to any CSRs that are listening. I, I am guilty of, of sometimes not digging into their side as much. So I uh, let's let's do that a bit. What? How frequently? Well, what did your? By the time you left, what what did your call center look like? Well, how many people did it consist of? Uh, let's see. So in the call center, we had uh, three dedicated dispatchers, one for each trade, right. and then we had uh, rotating shifts of customer service representatives. So okay. uh, my first, well, and I should say too, dispatch also helped back up on phone. So for example, um, I had a dispatcher that started at 6.30 a.m. The phones weren't turned on until 7, but she would help cover phones until the primary CSRs came in. And part of the CSR scheduling is I would look back over the phone call reports and it would say, you know, I'd be able to see the trend of when most calls are coming in and we'd staff accordingly. So um, my first CSR, uh, true CSR, not a backup, came in at eight. And then my last CSR uh, left at eight as well. So basically there were true CSRs from eight to eight. Prior to that were other roles that helped back up the phones. Okay. and then I initially, we actually had CSRs there until 10 p.m., but it goes back to, again, after tracking the phone reports and seeing where the calls were coming in, you know, I learned that, hey, instead of having this person come in from um, like 2 to 10, I really need them here from 11 to 8. And so right. we adjust the schedules depending on what's going on with, with the phones and when the bulk of the calls are coming in. And then over the summer season, which is the busiest season for us, sometimes we would add part-time CSRs. Um, sometimes we would adjust schedules. Again, we just go based on what the need of what the phones are doing. And I guess you set that expectation with your with your call takers, your CSRs. They knew that their schedule was going to change, what, every maybe 90 days or so, and that was just part of the gig? Yep, absolutely. They knew come summer because really it was those those key yeah. three, four summer months. They knew that that things would change. Yep. <laughs> and then we'd go back when fall came. But sure. Got to make hay when it's there. Uh, exactly. So so if you have everyone that's kind of segmented on by a shift type of situation, how do you tra- you mentioned training with and role playing with them? Was that 
I guess you could you do that collectively? Was there always a time you guys were all there and you just made time for it in the middle of the day, or was it more of a one-on-one -on -one type of a thing? So it was both. Uh, what we would do in the call centers, we would have two meetings a day, just touching base, very short, very brief. Uh, one in the morning once most of our AM call takers were there, and then once again, kind of around that lunchtime when the uh, second shift call takers would come in. And it was just touching base on, hey, here's where we're at for the day. Here's how many calls we need. Here's the plan for outbounding to fill the schedule if needed. Um, and then once a month, we would have an hour-long uh, client care meeting where it was all the customer service, all the dispatch. We'd, we'd um, meet over lunch. And during that time, either managers would cover the phones or they would be rolled to an answering service. And uh -huh. during that time, again, we did role playing. We talked about handling difficult customers. We went over disc profiles one time. Um, again, just really depended on, on what the topic was that we wanted to hit on. And then in addition to that, just as we would do with the, with the technicians, monitoring our daily reports, our daily management essentials report, right. uh, definitely one-on-one -on -one meeting with CSRs, definitely one-on-one -on -one role playing um, if we needed to in order to improve their closing rates. And also part of onboarding with CSRs as we did a lot of role playing. So it was just part of our culture. You just, you know, nobody really likes role playing, especially <laughs> at the beginning. Um, and so we just really made it a part of our culture, as I said, both with the customer service reps and the technicians. And, you know, even my technicians, I would say with role playing, I'd be like, hey, I make the CSRs do it too. Like everybody in this company does role playing. <laughs> right, right. Of course. That's great. That's great. It's part of the culture. It just, people grow, grow accustomed to it when it's done exactly. regularly. So it doesn't feel like punishment. Um, Yes. Dispatchers, though, I mean, that's, I feel like that's a position that's just so invaluable. And unfortunately, it probably doesn't get enough attention. You had three dispatchers. What were their, what were their backgrounds? I mean, were they, were they CSRs that you could tell had kind of learned the industry and could kind of figure out what, what jobs certain guys did better on versus others? Or were this very uh, organized type people? What are, what are some of the traits of really successful dispatchers? I would say with dispatchers, there's a number of, of different things, but probably as far as what their backgrounds were. Uh, so one of them was with the company that we had acquired. So she just she just came with us, uh, but she had been in the HVAC trade for uh, a number of years. Um, the other two, one was a uh, dispatcher for a trucking company okay. um, and one was a dispatcher for a um, like medical taxi service. Yeah. Um, but what I really looked for in dispatchers is um, really I, I had a list, but it was a most important. Are they customer focused? Can they be customer focused? Um, B, can they handle stress management? <laughs> Dispatch, <laughs> true story. Dispatch is an extremely stressful position because you are having to balance all these clients all these technicians. Um, sometimes you have fussy technicians. Sometimes you have fussy clients. Uh, we're trying to maximize the revenue. We're trying to get the best text to the best calls. Sometimes you have to reschedule clients. It's a very stressful position. So yes. that's another area that I would look at. Um, and then, as you had said, very detail-orientated, very quality-focused. Yes. Um, because there are so many moving pieces, they have to be able to to pay attention to what's going on and have that high attention to detail and that high attention to quality. Right. I guess, you know, especially once you get to your side, it's, it's I just feel like it's be so hard to, to remember who, what, what guys are, are, are best at what opportunities. Did you just, I mean, was that just in your, 
your your computer system, or did you have like a cheat sheet for for these people that they can remember? That Joe really sells. You know, he he does a great job selling panels, or or you know something that's an obvious one. Something like uh, I don't know, uh, like lighting jobs. You know, people that call for those. So and so is great for that. How, how did you train them to understand what? You know who who took best advantage of those opportunities, or or you know, or, or did you not worry about that as much? No, we absolutely. That was one of the key roles, if not maybe the key role of dispatch, was to make sure we're getting the right text to the right calls. Right. And so they had a cheat sheet that we would update. Um, usually monthly after we saw the monthly reports and saw how monthly sales were trending. Uh, but again, if, if we saw something interesting happening over the month where maybe we were sending a plumber out on these, uh, you know, whole home plumbing inspections and they were just killing it, then we might make a switch mid-month and be like, hey, this technician is, is doing amazing offering options and, and, and getting clients to understand the value of, of what we're proposing. Let's get him the plumbing inspection calls. Um, this technician is doing amazing at water heaters. Let's make sure he's getting the water heater calls. Right. And yeah, that was a, a big priority for us. Sure. Absolutely. Feed the hot hand for sure. Yeah, totally. Yes. Uh, very good. Uh, did your dispatcher set the boards each morning or was that a manager role? I've heard different companies handle that differently. You know, that is interesting. So initially it was me, obviously, because again, right. me and the electrician, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, we hired our first dispatcher and it was still me kind of sort of, you know, we, her and I worked very closely hand in hand. However, the larger you grow, the less hands-on you can be with things because yeah. there's just, you would need to have 800 hands. Yeah. So um, with that, what we would do is we would have dispatch set the board and then they would let their manager know. And then their manager would review it and say, hey, this needs to move here. This needs to move here. This looks good. Very good. Okay, excellent. All right, well, good. I wanted to dig into the call center a little bit, give it the props that it, it deserves, right? Because without that, no one's yes. running anything. So, right, exactly. Uh, you, again, you have a great benefit of, of uh, you know, building this business and, and, and learning the good things, the bad things. You mentioned uh, the idea of hiring green technicians. I love digging into that. Uh, I'm sure that came after lots of experience in hiring the wrong type of ex experienced technicians. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So so what did you look for in, in green people uh, to, to add to bring them on? And, you know, where did you find them? And then how did you decide what trade for, to, to put them in at the, you know, by the time you guys were, you know, at the end, you're in there, you're doing three trades. So how do you know that, that Joe or Jane is better at HVAC than electrical, for example? Well, and part of it too depends on where your licensure is in your in your area. For example, our licensure is extremely strict um, where we are on plumbing and electric. As such, we absolutely had green technicians come in for those, but our greatest supply, I guess I would say, of green technicians was the HVAC side because the licensure wasn't as wasn't as strict and we could get them out in the truck sooner. Right. Um, but as far as what we looked at and how we determined where they went, most of our green technicians had an idea what they wanted to do. Most of them knew, hey, I'm interested in electrician, I'm interested in plumbing, I'm interested in HVAC. Um, and so, you know, we looked at uh, 
character? You know, did did they have a positive attitude? Did they seem like they would be loyal? Um, and then behind that was, again, customer focus. Did they seem like they understood how to take care of people? Did they have a background in customer care, whether that was a waiter or a grocery clerk or, you know, something along those lines, right? Um, values, integrity, we had, we did a lot of behavioral uh, interview questions. So we would try to, as much as we could, uh, determine those type of things. And then especially, uh, you know, the interpersonal communication. If they're becoming a service technician in the residential field, they need to be able to relate to people. They need to be able to express themselves. And, you know, those are the things that are difficult to train on. Yeah. You know, we can teach the physical skills. We can teach the code uh, books. You know, we can teach that stuff. But the things of, you know, are they self-directed? Um, can they build rapport and trust? Would they be able to overcome objections if they came up? Those are the things that we really looked for in our green technicians. Right, right. So uh, I guess what an electrician would take. So because that always seems to be the most difficult to get licensed, I guess, for four years, right? For you, mm -hmm. you guys up there. Yeah. So you, you bring on a, a, a new guy and he's just riding along every day, right? And you, and you build that into your pricing so that you can, uh, you know, you can Correct. take on that cost, right? For, for sure. Good. I want people to hear that, that that's just part of it. That's why you, you price yourself the way you do that. So you can grow your, your business. Uh, did you, did you guys have, cause I've heard this with other business, uh, businesses, any of your top say plumbers or electricians ever want to make the jump to HVAC cause they were they're your top sales guys in, in those trades and saw what money could be made in HVAC and said, Hey, I, I want to dab a little of that. Or did everyone pretty much stay in their lanes? Generally speaking, everyone pretty much stayed in their lanes. And I think part of that goes back to what you said, where we are, it's, you have to have at least that equivalent of a four or five year degree to be on your own in a truck. Um, and so for those two trades in particular, they'd already invested so much <laughs> into it that they were not interested in switching trades. Sure. Um, and I would say even with HVAC, uh, you know, sometimes it, it, there would definitely be some like, hey, I'd like to learn a little bit more about electrical from the technician side. Yeah. But again, with HVAC, they recognized, hey, we're in the truck, we're doing well, we're making good money. Yeah. You know, I don't know that I want to go through switching trades to get that new licensure. Sure. And if I could um, go back to a, a comment that you had made just before that, you had talked sure. about... Uh, being priced appropriately to have yeah. great technicians. Right. And I just wanted to touch on that because I remember so clearly that conversation that uh, the owner and I had, um, and it was going back to, we were trying to find technicians and and we were struggling and um, not, again, this wasn't on the uh, HVAC side so much, but on the electrical side right. and having the conversation of, we are just going to have to grow them from within. This is what we're going to have to do to have a successful company. And talking about figuring out the, the pricing and figuring out the cost for that. And okay, a one-year apprentice is this, but now his second year, he's going to need to make more. And his third year, he needs to make this. And yeah. really figuring out how we needed to adjust our pricing to make that happen. And in the long run, obviously, it it was fantastic. But I will say, I do remember that difficult conversation and, and looking at raising the pricing and being like, Oh, okay, but we're we're committed. We're all in. So we're all in. That's right. Well, hey, you know, it, it, it's one of the silly things that I, you know. I feel like we talk about all the time is you got to look at your prices prices every year. It's not a set of forget it for three years. Everything the prices go up. Uh, what you pay people go goes up. Even if you're, you know, uh, because if you want to grow from within, that's the, you have to. Because all those those tech those apprentices are hourly, right? So even if you're, 
Correct. Doing uh, new comp or you know commission for the other jobs. Those those are steady increasing. If you want to keep that person tethered to your business, you can't have them working for the same wage for three for three years. Especially if you think it's someone that can really uh, generate significant re- revenue down the line. So exactly. yeah, that that pricing is just a huge huge thing. So no, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, let's see here. Trying to think where to jump next. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk hop a little bit, if, if you don't mind. What hop? Because it, it, it's so interesting what everyone does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess HVAC. You guys would had selling tax or you had comfort advisors. We had both actually. We had both. Well, and I guess uh, both were paid uh, commission. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. And how about the service slash maintenance tax? Were they uh, were they a new comp system or hourly plus bonuses? Yeah. So I've actually done because organizations. I've done both. (laughs) Um, So the one company, uh, we were hourly plus bonuses. And then the other company, we were new comp. And, you know, frequently I'll get asked, which is better? Which do you prefer? And it's a tough question to answer because I don't know that there's a perfect answer. (laughs) Um, I will say from the business owner, you know, office side, financial side, I'm a huge fan of new comp because (laughs) you can plan your labor appropriately. You know that your new comp is set at X. And so you don't have to worry as much about technicians running the clock or, you know, taking 18 runs to Home Depot in a day. (laughs) I mean, that's still something you look at, obviously, but it's not draining your overhead. So I'm a huge fan of new comp. Um, for that reason. Also, I will say too, you know, having done both systems, um, new comp, generally my technicians made more. I'm not going to say that was always the case. It depended on, you know, how effective a technician they were. Um, But that was the other side of it too, is it was such a a benefit for them to um, be able to make more revenue and to allow us to compete against other companies that were just hourly. So that's what I would say about new comp. The hourly plus bonuses, um, what was nice about that is that it goes back to, well, that's what technicians are used to. There was, it helps remove one of the, one of the maybe objections to coming in and being a part of our team. Um, But from the, again, owner, office, admin side, now you're having to watch very closely. Hey, how long are you are you staying on a job? And and you would have to have that conversation with the technician. Hey, why did this job take you so long? Maybe you wouldn't phrase it like that, but there was just always this constant tension. And the other side of it, too, is when you ran your monthly financials. Um, or, you know, if you're running them weekly or daily and you're looking at it and you're seeing your labor percentage go up and up and up, it's a right. lot harder to bring it under control when you're operating on a hourly uh, bonus structure. And the other thing as well is, you know, you can always add things to your employees. Um, but if you ever have to take things away or reduce things, that's really tough from the yes. from the culture standpoint. And so let's say you get to a point where they're making so much hourly that between the hourly and the bonus, they're way out of control. Yeah. Okay, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to cut their bonuses or are you going to cut their hourly? <laughs> or are you going to keep raising prices? And at some point it all kind of comes to a head yeah. and the yeah. new comp doesn't have that doesn't have that issue. So yeah. um they're but again they they both work. They're they're both good. They just have their each their own pros and their cons. Yeah. Even but even with Newcom, you still have to watch their hours because you Oh 100 percent Yeah, because you're required to pay overtime. Oh yes. And, yeah. So I mean would would guy you just give guys like a Friday off if they hit 
because you're like, okay, I'm not paying you for 70 hours. I know you're killing it. Or do you, or if a guy is just on a hot streak, we just go to heck with it, just keep rolling, and, <laughs> and we'll, we'll pay the overtime. I mean, how do you balance that? Generally speaking, the answer is yes, we would pay the overtime. <laughs> it obviously depended on what was happening, right? But if yeah. we're in summer, and summer tended to be our busiest time for all trades. You know, if we're in summer and those demand calls are coming in and guys are willing to work those extra hours, yeah. and, and they're you know, when they're performing, they're giving options, they're they're selling. Absolutely. We will let them work as many hours as as they want within reason. You know, obviously there were certain times where we'd be like, you know what, we're, you know, we're we're forcing you to take a weekend off because you need <laughs> you need some downtime. Yeah, you need some downtime. We want to make sure you're fresh for the ensuing weeks. That's exactly exactly, exactly. <laughs> we don't want to get through, you know, June and then have you burned out for July. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Support for this podcast comes from Dynamic. Dynamic Air Quality Solutions manufactures IAQ products based on the science of clean air. Dynamic's clean air defense system products are supported by technical and communication IAQ training that is second to none in the industry. For more information on how to get your team confident in communicating IAQ challenges and solutions on every call, email Michelle Hogan at mhogan at dynamicaqs.com. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to my conversation with Nikki Stone, the success coach with SGI. We talk about how she helped grow a highly profitable service business from nothing to $13 million. So far, we talked a lot about some of the basics, the infrastructure that Mickey and the owner of that business had to put into place to get it off the ground in the city. But in the second half of our chat, Mickey's going to go into detail the challenges and opportunities of acquiring two other businesses. And she will talk about what she learned about going through a rebranding effort with an already successful company. So let's hear what Mickey Stone has to say by jumping back into that conversation. I, I want to be sure to get into this because uh, uh, you, this is a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you, Mickey. But you guys have the unique perspective of you acquired another SGI member. Because HVAC was the first new edition, correct? Correct. Okay. That, what year was that? Oh boy, uh, that would have been 2016, I believe. <laughs> right, it was a good business, if I remember that that you guys acquired. So yes, yes. And, and you really you rebranded, and you know it's the merging of two cultures, and uh, it's a very unique way to do an acquisition. So maybe speak to that. What were what challenges did you end up encountering that maybe you didn't foresee that someone who is considering doing this, a merger really, uh, that might they might need to look at and think about before going through it? You know, one of the things that I would say was the biggest uh, surprise to us was merging the two cultures. Right. Um, and so, again, as you mentioned, you know, the other organization was a success group company as well, which, you know, side note, <laughs> that's what made it go so easy to They already understood the straightforward pricing guide. They already were using the um, comfort survey. They already had their guys in uniforms and, and wrap trucks. So that's what made it easy. Right. However, the culture side is they did have a different culture than we had as far as um, you know, just kind of like what would be allowed within the office, for example, sure. or, um, uh, you know, maybe language. Now, again, obviously everybody was very professional, sure, client facing, but what our 
culture was was not what their culture was. And so that was something that was surprising. And I would say, you know, that's on some level one of those things, too, that I don't know that you can ever really know until you purchase the company. Right. <laughs> right? Uh, so that was actually one of the the biggest surprises was learning how to and they were a, a relatively large company as well so that's part of it too i yeah. think when you're buying a lot smaller company that becomes a lot easier they just naturally um integrate into your culture whereas we had uh two companies that were um both large and so to bring that number of people together it's it's kind of like you know, you have eight kids and you marry somebody else who has eight kids. Now you have 16 kids, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so that was actually probably the, the biggest challenge, um, you know, because all of the success group pillars are still there. You know, yeah. we still run our DMEs. We still have our KPIs. We still have our financial model. Yeah. So all yeah. of that was there and in place. Um, and, you know, we had the, the airtime uh, coaching side to help us along with that kind of stuff. But it was really more the the culture side that uh, surprised me the most about where where we ended up focusing a lot of our time. Did, how did you how did you bridge that gap? Was it just um, train like over training or having a ton of meetings? And you know, because there's got to be a trust level, right? Right. When people yes. buy in, there's got to be trust. Trust, I feel like, comes with personal relationships. So how, how did, I mean, first of all, I guess you just moved it. Did you guys all combine offices? I mean, yes. Okay, yep. So we all combined, all, offices. We all combined offices. Right, right. <laughs> and really what it was for me was I started out by interviewing all of the staff uh -huh. and just um, asking, you know, hey, what do you like best about working here? What do you like least? What could we improve? And that helped me see a common thread coming through. You know, yeah. if something came up more than once and especially multiple times, I was like, okay, these are the areas that that they feel a pain point that we can we can get a win, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing within that interviewing too allowed me to to determine, okay, who are the key people in the company? And the key people are not necessarily your managers. Exactly. <laughs> right? And right. I was like, okay, this person's a key leader, this person's a key leader, this person's a key leader. And then there were maybe five of them or so. And it was like, okay, those five, and I will say two of those five, only two were a manager. <laughs> and so of those five, I'm like, okay, these are the people that are going to be my cheerleaders for change management. But before they can be my cheerleaders, they need to, as you said, have trust in me, trust in what we're about. And so it was a lot of working with them, especially getting their feedback, um, because I think if you come in, particularly as the acquiring company, and you come in and say, okay, we're doing things like this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, that is valid, and it's absolutely one way to do it. For me personally, I wanted it to be an open um, con conglomeration, an open communication. I wanted them to feel a part of all the changes. Because okay. in change management, that's really what you need to do is you need to have a cheerleader, and then your cheerleader helps get the rest of the team on board. And so that's how we we focused on changing that culture. In oh. addition to that, you know, we did, like, we had our key employees on, on our electrical side as well. So we would have the key employee from HVAC ride along with the key employee from electric, oh. not only so they could see our processes, but yeah. so that they could form a relationship. And they, you know, <laughs> yeah. so it, it was all very strategic in, in what we did to try to, um, get everybody to get along. For all yeah, that's a significant purposes. investment, though, to have a key player, right? You know, be out of the truck just to run. Oh, it was. Yes. Yeah. But we knew oh. again, long term, short term pain, long term gain, right? Yeah. So, how 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 much did your processes evolve from when you combine companies? Did you did you feel like okay, we need to come we need to come so far 
so that they and, and oh maybe we see some things that they're doing well because they were a successful company. Did, was there a lot of uh, integration in that way, or what? Or were we like, hey guys, this is how we kind of do things. We'll hold your hand. We understand if you have questions and stumbles along the way, but we'll, we'll get through this together. How how did how did the processes of how a call flows to how technicians got it to how you know a comfort advisor got a lead? You know all these little nuts and bolts things that just have to work just right for a business to operate smoothly. How much did that get changed? Well, the first step was listing out everything that we needed to look at and determining what is the most important, what is truly broken or they're not doing right now, what yeah. are things that are going okay, but you know we might need to tweak them and what are things that are just fine, right? So we took the big list, we broke it down into three other sections. Right. And then from there, um, as far as how much did the process change, again, it just depended on on what it was. Um, as I said, like they were already doing DMEs. They were already um, right. pretty strong in their financial reporting, that kind of stuff. So those okay. were things we didn't have to deal with. Right. Um, but for example, uh, you know, call taking, we needed, they switched to our software system, which at the time was Successware. Yeah. Um, and so we needed to get them all new processes on, hey, That's here's how we yeah. do this. Right. And conversely, you know, they were a HVAC company. So they were um, outbounding. They had people who outbounded regularly to get tune-ups on the board and to fill the board. That's okay. not something that we were used to doing so much on the electrical side. Right. Um, you know, a little bit in first quarter, that tended to be the slower quarter for us on electric. But other than that, we didn't have to do it nearly as much as we need to on the HVAC side. Sure. So that was something that had to change for our um, electrical call center team is, hey, now we're really like we if that board doesn't have calls, you are outbounding to fill those yep. boards, yep. for example. Right. And the other side of it, too, is from, um, you know, the CSR side and maybe even the technician side on some level, too, is heating is truly 24 seven, you know, we're in the, the northern part of the country. So if yes. it's 11 o'clock <laughs> at night, and you know, it's legitimately like air degrees 20 below zero. Yeah, <laughs> it happens up here. Oh, um, yeah. they, they need heat and they need it now, <laughs> as opposed to maybe an outlet not working or, you know, something like that. So helping our CSRs um, who came from the electrical side to understand even more so the urgency of HVAC and even more so, um, you know, partially, I think because of the licensure in our area, there are a lot more HVAC companies than there are electric sure. and plumbing. Um, so even more so, there's so much competition for that, for those calls. Um, we've got to make sure we're capitalizing on every call. And again, not that we weren't doing that, but yeah. really just that, that different sense of urgency. Um, parts warehouse was a huge transition oh, change yeah. um, that required uh, quite a bit of effort to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think what else. So yeah, that's that's probably the big thing. Obviously, training. You know, now instead of having one division to train, we had two different, two literally two different divisions to train. Um, that's probably another thing that we change with our processes. Yeah. How uh, how did the material side change as much? I mean, you had a fish. I guess you just had to. Because you were all cramming into one space, I guess that was it. You had to figure out, okay, electrical stuff goes here, HVAC stuff goes here. Is that was that more, or did you have to change systems that we were tracking materials? Yeah, you know the struggle with the with the tracking of materials. So both organizations had you know stock trucks, warehouse on wheels. Right, right. Um, however, on the HVAC side, you have a lot more part returns coming back because right. HVAC equipment has such a long warranty time on it a lot of times. Right. And also there's just so much more moving parts that 
<laughs> that break <laughs> as yeah, opposed yeah. to electric or even plumbing. Right. And so that was a huge part of the processes was figuring out, okay, how is this going to look? How is this going to run? How are we going to know if we got the money back from the vendor? That was one side of it. And then yeah. the other side of it is too, is, you know, on electric, you've got a couple brands of panels. But on HVAC, you've got so right. many manufacturers and some can take universal parts, some can't. Yeah, and right. so that that determination of, OK, what do we stock in the warehouse? Because, again, we didn't want to have a huge warehouse with that additional overhead, but sure. we need to take care of the clients. Um, and eventually we ended up um, partnering with um, Barnett, which is now a okay. Home Depot, you know, one of yep. our partner network uh, members. And they ended up basically moving kind of like a, a mini mini Home Depot, mini Barnett, um, yeah. into our warehouse. And so we did not have the overhead of that. However, oh, um, at the same point, we had to definitely, you know, be of a, a size that it made sense to do that for them. So that's that's how the end of it happened. But keep in yeah. mind, that was a, you know, four or five year process. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it, 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 you still need to, to watch your your materials cost, even when you have a, a vendor take it over. I know. Oh, that's absolutely. Well, well and that goes back. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bob. <laughs> no, I just wanted people to hear that, that some people think consignment, oh, it's sudden, forget it. That's not the case because all of a sudden, you know, the prices can creep up. <laughs> so you yeah. still need to shop around. And that's where it goes. It's so important to watch your P&Ls, 100%. And, you know, what you do is you go back to them and you say, hey, my material cost is going up. Um, you know, I looked at these, these are my top 10 most used parts, and this is what you guys are charging us. And I understand, you know, maybe you are charging us a little bit more because we've got the warehouse here and the convenience of it, but it's dramatically different than what X vendor is giving exactly. me. I think, you know, you guys need to work with us on this a little that's bit. Great. That's great. Yep. That's you can't do that if you're not watching your numbers. When, when did you guys bring on plumbing? Was that, were you there long? Were they, you guys plumbing there? we brought on in 2018, I believe. 18. Okay, so you're a couple of years with with it still. Yeah. And they were also a, a success group company as well. Okay, okay, they were. I was going to ask. I couldn't recall if that was another SGI company or not. Yeah. Okay. But now that's an example where, you know, they were a much smaller company. Than I, I thought so, yeah. And that whole culture and all that didn't happen at all because they just came in and were, you know, Something. assimilated, for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. <laughs> just assimilated into our culture and here's what we do. And it went, it went much easier that time. Yeah. <laughs> Was there was there much turnover in either uh, with either acquisitions from from the company you acquired? You know, with the um, plumbing company, there was not. With oh. the well, I take that back. So uh, there was they. So again, they were a smaller organization. They had a call center person who um, I did interview, and we didn't really need someone, and uh, they weren't exactly what we were looking for. So sure. there was that. But all the technicians came over um, on the HVAC side. Uh, it goes back to, again, I think, culture and what our expectations were. Um, office team-wise, uh, I don't recall us losing anyone yeah. um, right away. As we implemented more processes and procedures and, you know, different things like that, uh, you know, certainly um, we did lose some of the office staff. Um, yeah. Technician-wise... Uh, we did lose some of the technicians in the transition. Again, yeah. not right away, but it takes uh, time. It takes time, and especially as as we implemented more of what our processes were and what more of our procedures were, and it kind of goes back to as well. You you certainly don't want to lose technicians, especially uh, now when they're so hard to find. Right. But right. at the same point, you know, the ones that left were not a good fit for our culture. They were yeah. not a good fit for what we were trying to do. They weren't the cheerleaders. 
Um, and so, you know, some we were more sad to see go than others, but. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I think it's just important for people to hear whether you're uh, bringing on a new trade just by acquiring a customer list or you're merging companies like you guys did, which is just incredible to me because I know so many people have done it and have had so many difficulties doing it. But it's important to have a, a recruiting and hiring and you know interviewing process. So when people do leave because they go, this just isn't what I was used to, you can easily – not easily, but you could replace that person. Because so, in other words, if you're listening to this and you you can't you struggle and struggle and struggle to find people now with your one trade, I don't know that I'd start two more trades right away because you're just gonna absolutely you're gonna triple your headaches. And the other thing too is you know the the statistics are out there that um, it's it's like a third. I want to say it was I want to say it was actually thirty three percent, but I, I can't remember if it was thirty or thirty three percent. But um, acquired workers uh, leave when yeah. a company is um, purchased. And so yes. that is something that I would tell uh, the management team um, from the HVAC company that we acquired is, you know, even at the beginning, I said, hey guys, here's how it's gonna go. Um, just be aware that on average, a third of the team will leave in the first year. And I, and I actually set a goal. I said, I'd like to see us around 20%. Yeah. Um, obviously I'd prefer even less than that, but we knew going in um, that that was going to happen. And part of that is because I had gone through the acquisitions with the medical company, you know, many years before that. But so I had some idea of, of what to expect in turnover too. But so I would say that as well, if, if you have acquired a company and you see this turnover happening, you know, watch your numbers, watch your percentages and see, because if you're averaging around that 20% or even 30%, yeah. that's actually what's typical. Yeah. Um, but also don't just dismiss it and say, oh, well, that's typical. You know, yeah. why are they leaving? Are they legitimate reasons? Is there something we need to fix? Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's good. That's good stuff. Uh, when you when you, when you had all three trades, uh, the one obvious huge benefit, you know, it's not all scary stuff, is uh, tons more customers, right? And and the best way to use utilize those is, is to have a – you guys combine your club membership, right? So all three – were immediately merged into one, correct? Yes. Okay. How did you manage that? Because I know, at least in my experience, it seems like electric. Well, not for all companies, but more and more, the electrician, electrical companies, at least today, thankfully, and plumbing, they stay they stay fairly busy, right? There's there's dips. HVAC, like you said, there's a lot more outbound, right? You're you're getting you need the tune ups, you need to get in the house. Would you schedule? If, if plumbing electrical got slow, would you try and schedule those with the HVAC uh, tune up so they can come out? Or, I mean, were, were you just, did you have enough dips where in, you know, Minnesota, electrical just gets slow here and plumbing just gets slow here and we pile all our inspections up in those months? How, how did you, how was it kind of for you guys? Um, the physical pain that that question brings to me. <laughs> <laughs> Every first quarter of like, oh, okay, how are we going to manage this, you guys? Because yeah. um, now again, we're in Minnesota, so we have a, a heating season, right? So heating sure. was usually okay until about March-ish when the spring weather moved in, dependent on the weather patterns. But plumbing and electrical would slow down together in the first quarter. And then at 100% was a, a conversation about, okay, are we how close are we scheduling those two inspections? Because, and now we're back to kind of a, a triple win philosophy. You know, obviously we want to take care of the client. They're playing for their club membership. 
Um, we want to service them in the best way possible. However, if we're doing those two inspections too close to each other, we can overwhelm the homeowner. Um, and then just from the company side and from the technician side, because now we are presenting them with all these things with electric and all these things with plumbing, um, it makes it harder to uh, close an opportunity and, you know, to, to close some options because the client is overwhelmed. They, you know, things they weren't expecting, that type of a thing. Um, so I don't know, just being honest, that I have a great answer for that. I can tell you, we always tried to make sure they were spread out. If we could spread it out at least a week, that's what we tried to do so that um, electric or plumbing, whichever went first, had a little bit of time to work through their findings before the, the other trade came out. Um, it just, and that's really where it goes back to as well. It became so important to have your number of calls budgeted per day. How many do we need? Which trade? And just really focusing on what we need to do to get that yeah. to get that board filled but but i'm, I'm sure it led to a it, it benefited all all three businesses benefited when you combined right you oh 100 percent, right absolutely so you could see that yeah. significant growth uh just a couple more because I, I it's at the hour mark this has been super super enjoyable but i know you've got stuff to do but uh you guys also went through a rebrand where mm -hmm. i talk about change your name you took on the hvac company's name right uh, rewrap the trucks. How long of a process was all that? Uh, that took a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, this is one of those things where as, as business owners and as business managers, we're constantly learning, right? I had not done uh, a rebrand. I had not done a, a layout or a, a yeah, basically I hadn't done a rebarrant. I guess that's all I have to say. And so, <laughs> and so learning, you know, initially we took the two company names and merged them together in, into one name. And that was okay. Yeah. But really, as we got, particularly when we purchased the plumbing, you know, we ended up with this long name of blah, 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 you know, electrical, plumbing, heating, cooling, <laughs> indoor cooling. We were like, okay, we need to consolidate a name. So <laughs> the first part was, you know, again, going back to our vision, our mission, our values. What do we want our name to? to convey what is the message that we want to get across as succinctly as possible. So that was the first step. Yeah. And then as far as the actual rebranding, you know, it was letting clients know. Um, it was making sure, you know, we had both logos on all our printed material for a while, and then it eventually phased out to the one. It was, yes, getting the trucks wrapped, getting all the marketing changed. Um, again, I, I learned a lot through it. I absolutely will tell you, I did not do it perfectly. Yeah, but I learned a ton. And, and the other thing I would add, too, is, again, as business owners and managers, we can learn so much from other businesses. And so yeah. when we were going through this, uh, my dentist office actually happened to be doing a rebranding. And while I was in their office, I started taking pictures of my phone of all their rebranding ah. stuff they were doing because I was like, oh, look at how they're rebranding. Oh, that's a good idea. And so, you know, you just pick different pieces. And if you're if you're struggling in your organization with something, you know, like that or something different, you know, don't hesitate to look at what other businesses outside of our industry and outside of our, our trades are doing, because a lot of that can apply to us. We yeah. just forget to take our blinders off. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good stuff. I, I actually leads into one of my last questions is you mentioned Expo. Uh, I know uh, what you've learned from other members and, and coaches. It doesn't just happen at Expo. It happens with tons of phone calls and going to other locations. How much did, was that valuable, having a, a network of people that were always so willing to help? 
It was huge. And it absolutely was one of the reasons, um, I would say with both the organizations, actually, yeah. that I had, had been with, um, that we grew as rapidly as we did, as profitable as we did, yeah. because you had these people to walk alongside you who yeah. had been there. And right. they could tell you, hey, watch out for that pothole. Hey, watch out for that. Hey, this is a really great way to do it. And sometimes, too, you just needed somebody who understood. And you were like, oh, my gosh. Da, 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 da. And right. they're like, yeah, I've been there. I got you. I understand. Yeah. Right, right. It just makes you feel better, right? It, it, it validates makes you your feel concern. better to know you're not alone. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's lonely at the top sometimes, right? Yeah. So to have other business owners and, and senior managers that you can talk to who get it is is invaluable. <laughs> That's great. That's great. What advice would you have for for members or other contractors that are listening outside of the group? Uh, just in your journey from you know, under a million dollars to, I forget what you said initially, you know, a double digit million dollar, highly profitable company. What are two or three takeaways that people should keep in mind if they want to rapidly grow up their, grow their business while also staying profitable? You know, again, what are a couple core things they should always keep in mind? I think there's three things. Um, number one is operational excellence. Yeah. Uh, if you want to grow rapidly, you have got to be operationally excellent. You've got to have those pieces in place because you have to have a strong foundation to be able to build that growth on. If you don't, it's going to wash away, number yeah. one. Number two, going into kind of ties into it, but the profitability side, it is very easy to grow your revenue numbers rapidly, right. um, but you can lose sight of the profitability and, and you can get into this mindset too of, oh, well, we're growing, the, the profit will come, which <laughs> I, I would say is is true on some level, but you really have to watch it because all of a sudden, you know, sales are for show, right? Profit, That's is, right. profit is for freedom. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. you could have a $30 million company. That sounds great to say, hey, I have a $30 million company. But if I'm breaking even or even worse, losing money, what does it matter? I'm basically working for free. I didn't start a nonprofit, right? <laughs> so <laughs> right. number two is you got to watch your profit. And then I would say number three is don't forget your people. Your people are, people are the reason you're in business, number one. But number two, people are the reason that you have a business. And if you get too focused on the numbers, you are going to forget the people. You're going to alienate the people. And those people are what are keeping you in business. So I would say those are the three great. things. That's great stuff. Did you notice when you guys did the acquisitions, uh, when you would have a, even before then or after then, uh, you had maybe a, a good growth year, would you notice the profitability would slip a few points as you learned what you didn't know uh, as you grew it to that size and it would just catch up? Or, or yes. did you always have a okay? Uh, I was that's, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's and, then we would, and, you know, and then we would look at it and go, okay. <laughs> pretty much okay like how do we fix it right, <laughs> right. oh dear right, so right. that's uh, that's exactly what would happen and then we you know we try to plan for it again the more you learn the more you know you don't know what you don't know yeah, so then yeah. we, when we came to growing the next time and we saw we were on this precipice of growth it was yes. like okay remember this happened this time we don't want to repeat that yeah. so what do we do this time to make it different yeah for sure for sure. So I just want people to hear that. Hey, if you have a great growth year, just be, be cognizant. I've heard from so many companies over the years, just you're, it's likely you're not going to be as profitable, but you better figure it out quickly so you get so you can get profitable. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, very last question. Mickey, you, you left that business because you were just looking for something different. Um, and we're so blessed to have you. What what do you think of this new job? 
being on the other side of the phone, the phone when you're when you're coaching people like yourself, what 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 unique challenges? What what's fun about it? What what do you think so far? You know, it's funny. I, I tell some of my members, I feel kind of like when technicians move into the office from, you know, owners move into the office. That's kind of <laughs> what I feel like. Like, I feel like I was out in the field and working and doing it. And now I'm in the office kind of helping manage it and run it. So, right. <laughs> um, but I, I really enjoy it. I love helping our members um, to go through what I went through, kind of as I had mentioned before, to, to be able to have owners on the phone and be like, hey, I got it. I've done it. I understand. But also, you know, it's not necessarily just the the support side of it from that end. It's also the excitement side of it of, hey, we're adding another trade. That is awesome. Let's talk about how this is going to look and what's your vision for it. And let's help put those pieces in place to help organize it. Um, and just, you know, it goes back to, again, our membership is so open and so willing to share with each other. Uh, that's the other side of it that I just love is being able to say, hey, you know, my member over here in Florida, I've got a great connection for you in California. Let me get you two together. Um, and he can really help you with, you know, this issue because yeah. I've been working with him and I know that he's already overcome it. So those are some of the things that I love. And I and I have to say too, just being, you know, a part of the success group team, and, and, you know, we had been with Success Group for 10 years, so yeah. I already knew a, lo a lot of the people in the culture, but being in the office, I can see that they really, truly do walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, what they tell us to do as members, they do, I should say we do, but they, they do um, in their own business and, and in how they deal with people and how they deal with vendors. And so that, I figured that's what it was going to be, but you never really know until you're there. Sure, uh, sure. So that's the other thing that I, I really have appreciated being on being on this side of the phone. <laughs> that's great. That's great. No, it is. It's it's a, it's an e job when you get to see people better than themselves. I don't. There's so many other businesses where I feel like you're just pushing a product, but this is really right. helping people. So it's very neat. It's a neat gig. We're very blessed to have you, Mickey. Thank you so much for so much of your time. I said 45 minutes. I blew way past that. <laughs> I blame you though. I, I'll give you all the. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I talk a lot. Like it's well known I talk a lot. So That's I apologize good. to all the listeners for talking. No, no, a lot. no, I'm teasing. This was super valuable. Like I felt like we could keep going, but I, 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 this was just really enjoyable. I think for people that are in growth mode, they should. This is a definite must listen to because uh, you lived it and you didn't live it that long ago. So it's all no. fresh. So. <laughs> yeah. So for sure. Well, thank you so much for all your time, and I. I look forward to, to seeing you. Uh, well, I shouldn't say I should. I'll, this will date the podcast, but this is being recorded a week or two before Expo. But I look forward to seeing you at Expo. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> as well. Thank you again for the opportunity, Bob. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Take care, Mickey. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Right, bye bye. That's Mickey Stone of Success Group International on the secrets to growing a $13 million service business from scratch. Thanks for listening to the show. If you feel like you have a great story worth sharing that would also help other contractors, email me at bhouchin at yoursgi.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a rating. And remember, friends give fives. You've been listening to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International. Support for this podcast comes from Learning Alliance. Tired of trying to figure out what you should train your team on every week? Do you struggle to be the dynamic trainer that elevates your team's performance while making happy customers? 
SGI's Learning Alliance now offers its members a turnkey 26-week training schedule with high-impact sales and communication videos for your frontline employees. Turn them on once a week and watch your team transform. Training can be as easy as clicking a mouse. To download this training schedule, SGI members, simply go to the Learning Alliance tab of your SGI Hub website, then click on Learning Alliance videos. You'll find it there. Of course, your coaches are on standby if you need any assistance. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a part of the Success Group International family. SGI is the largest member-owned best practices organization for independent residential services contractors. SGI provides its members a competitive edge through proven proprietary management tools and expertise, marketing programs, training, and group buying power, along with a highly active and eager-to-help membership. For more information about Success Group International, visit www.yoursgi.com. The Successful Contractor Podcast is the production of the Aquila Investment Group, LLC, All Rights Reserved, 2021.